Well, welcome to the Story of Hope podcast, where we share stories of how Bible translation has brought hope to the people groups of the world. My name is Esther Melody, and I am the front person of the band Eversmith, and we have been in partnership with Wycliffe Bible Translators New Zealand as ambassadors for over a decade. And I'm here today with my co-host... Hi, I'm Alex Winslade. I work um, in the office here at Wycliffe Bible Translators New Zealand. Um, do a lot of work around communications and just sharing about what Wycliffe does. Um, today we're super excited to be joined by Bruce. Do you want to introduce yourself today, Bruce? I'd love to, yeah. I'm uh, Bruce Erina and you guys interviewed my wife Jenny a little while ago and mm. it's great to be here and, and being interviewed today and I am now one of the two associate directors for Wycliffe New Zealand. Yes, yeah, so I get to work uh, with Bruce, which is really fun and exciting. We'll hear more about what you do throughout the podcast. <laughs> yeah. So awesome. Well, we're going to jump into our icebreaker question. And that question is, what is something from the Bible that has encouraged you recently? Well, hey, well, I want to share two, two verses, actually. Great. Um, <laughs> one, one kind of leads into the other, and the second one is, um, both recent and long term, it's something which when we first went to the mission field, um, God really put on our hearts and, and seems to put on a lot of missionaries' hearts. And the first one um, leads into that, and I'll explain a little bit. But the first one is Jeremiah 17, um, 7 to 8, and it says, Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water, that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. It leave, its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. So, and for those who are familiar with the Bible, you'll, you'll hear that um, parts of that repeated in Psalm 1. Um, you know, that idea of the tree that's planted and grows really well when it can get the water and everything it, it needs and just that idea for me of being really planted deep in God and His Word and His ways, um, trusting Him, has really given me a lot of assurance. Particularly, I've, I've had a lot of ill health, and it's just a real um, assurance that whatever comes, that that God's there and and that He's the one that I get. He's my source of energy, my source of strength, and. Um, what I need to keep going. And the second one, which I said builds on that, is Joshua 1, uh, verse 9, where Joshua um, has taken has taken over the mantle from Moses, and, and the verse says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And those words were spoken specifically to Joshua, but I think we can take those on our, ourselves when we take on the work of God and, and the doing what he wants us to do. And so those are both a real encouragement to me. One, one, you know, I can be strong and courageous because and when I'm rooted in, in God and the confidence that comes from that. Mm. That's so cool. I um, One of my favorite books is a book called Anonymous by Alicia Britt-Choll. And the entire book is about 
um, what the I think the subtitle is something like Je- Jesus' unknown years and yours. Um, but the whole entire book is based on an analogy with uh, of trees, with the roots going down, and and then also how their branches are always stretched out in praise. And um, kind of all the different mm-hmm. correlations there in terms of, you know, having deep roots and having steady faith and, and all of that sort of thing. So I love I love that scripture. I think it's a similar verse in Psalms as well that kind of harkens to that Jeremiah one. Yeah. Talking about being like a tree planted by the rivers of water that yields its fruit in season and leaves shall not wither and whatever it does will prosper. Like I, I, I love those scriptures. They're so... So beautiful and so encouraging, like you say. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, and the, the essence of that second one, which I think every Christian needs to hear, which is be strong and courageous. You know, that idea that um, I've got more and more recently that there's not really such a thing as a passive Christian. Maybe as a passive Christian, we can kind of crawl on our belly into the gates of heaven. But, but, you know, I want to go in there as a servant, as someone that, that God says, welcome my good and faithful servant. And might not be just because of my faith, um, my trust in, in Christ and what he's done. So, yeah, anyway. Mm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think that just reminds me of a verse in First Timothy, or is it Second Timothy, that uh, we're not given a spirit of fear and timidity. Uh, it's something that struck me a while ago because someone who's tends to be a bit more timid but I think that's really cool there's no such thing as a passive Christian yeah like we we have the Holy Spirit and yeah um yeah I just love that segment and hearing how the word is speaking to people and just reminds me every time how important it is that everyone has access to the word um but we'll jump into our main questions now um so yeah the first one we have for you is what made you decide to spend your life serving in the mission of Bible translation yeah, gosh, I um, it's a long answer, but I'll try and I'll try and summarize it as as best I can. I really I, I think I want to start by kind of call to mission, which is or to cross cultural mission more specifically, because we're all called to mission. You know, nobody's no Christians let off the hook there. Mm-hmm. Um, but my call to cross cultural mission really started as a kid, and I wasn't raised in a Christian family. But my my parents did what some parents did at that time, which is just send their kids off to Sunday school. It was a bit of a tradition. And God just reached out to me. And then when I was 11 years old, we moved, and I went to a school where I my best friend became um, Leighton Braddock, a very strong um, Christian guy with a strong Christian family. And they took me under their arms and took me to church for my entire teenage years and when I was 12 that is when the call to mission really consolidated for me where I just felt God was saying do this and through my through my teenage years I couldn't get enough biographies you know whether it was Brushko um, and all his stories and South America or Brother Andrew and just so many so many stories which just inspired me I just couldn't eat them up quickly enough. But um, interestingly, at that time, I really, really wanted to be a pilot. I really thought um, Missionary Aviation Fellowship is for me, and that was throughout my teenage years. 
And so I even trained a little bit, but mm. discovered really quickly um, that I get very sick oh, no. <laughs> when I'm flying. <laughs> and I remember trying to land a plane and just being so green. I just, oh. with with sickness that I, the instructor that was fortunately there with me at the time, I had to take over because I was just so wow. sick. And I thought, well, Lord, along with some other things, what are you, what are you saying to me? And um, and I never lost that calling to mission, but that calling to that specific calling I felt I had all through my teenage years um, faded very quickly with the realization that this isn't going to work and for very practical practical reasons. And it took many years. I, I got married. I had a family. I walked, had a time of walking away, not entirely, but but of being passive in my faith and exploring other things after my wife and I were married. And then um, I got very sick and had a lot of time to reflect. Um, and God just pulled me back. So, and and that's when Jenny and I explored. And Jenny's parents, my, it's my wife, her, her parents had been with Wycliffe Bible Translators for many years. They served in Papua New Guinea. Um, her dad is from the United States and her, her mum from here, here in New Zealand. And they went and met and um, got married after meeting in Papua New Guinea. And so there was a little bit of Wycliffe in the blood um, mm. in, our, in our family. And then, um, so, so I got sick. I just, and really it was a time of revival for, for my wife and I. And, and we, um, God really used it to pull us back. And that's, that's been something in my life that has been a constant is just that constant realization that God is drawing me to himself. You know, regardless of what I do. In his grace, he just keeps drawing me to himself, even though I, I have a choice. And so after some time um, of doing some chaplaincy work, after um, some recovery from, from my sickness, and then um, being a minister for some years, during that time, Jenny and I just felt again. We'd both had this strong calling to missions, and it was revitalized. Um, it wasn't that it ever left, but it was just revitalized, renewed. And so we talked to some agencies, and then we talked, we came into the office here and we talked to John Rents, who was in my role at the time as an associate mm. director. And we walked away just being like, this is it, this is home. This is where God wants us to serve. And, um, and that was around 2014, um, and we've been here since. Wow. Wow. That's so cool. You uh, you mentioned that you had wanted to be a pilot as part of your, your mission work, which I think is a really cool thing that a lot of people don't think about um, when it comes to missions. Like One of the things that has come up time and time again is all the different roles that can be a part of the missionary journey that aren't just, you know, being the person who... Um, does the translation work or goes and set up a church in a place or, you know, all the support team can be so important. But um, the other yeah. thing that I wondered about with that whole idea of uh, being a pilot was what are you now passionate about with that dream kind of gone? Right. And um, 
one of my strengths and weaknesses is that I'm I'm a bit of a jack of all trades, but with the inevitable master of none. So when when I started out at university, I started in civil engineering and I dabbled in classics and I did some linguistics and then I finished a theology degree. And then later on, I did a graduate diploma in psychology. And it's oh, kind wow. of the story of my life a little bit that I, <laughs> it's not so much that I flit, but that I, I love adventure. I love new things. I love to explore. I love people. And so I've tended to move around. And where I've really landed and landed quite well is in, in leadership. Um, and um, I definitely believe in servant leadership. You know, I found that probably I've been more humbled since being a leader than I have anywhere else. And that's been a good thing for me. So probably in order, my passion is, is God, um, truth. I have a real passion about truth, and we might be able to explore that later, um, maybe, but, and and people. And so, um, and being passionate about God and, and the truth, I'm passionate about God's scriptures and the truth that's revealed through those, and for us to submit to that truth is, is really important to me, rather than my will, yours, mm. Lord, and that includes the way I, I approach the scriptures. And so I'm excited, I'm passionate about what what we're doing here in Woodcliffe, which is bringing scriptures to people that don't have them or might have them in another language, and and that's a whole other discussion and a whole other level of access, um, which they don't have because it might just be in another language. And um, and I'm I'm passionate about managing. I'm passionate about management, but I'm passionate about it in its ability to help the work of God progress and to be an encouragement to the work of God. So um, I think that's probably where where some of my passions lie mm. most at this mm. time. Do you, I'm just wondering, was it a bit of a shock to you at first when you kind of went into leadership? At first? Like, did you think you would go into that at some point or was it kind of a big change? Right. Yeah, good question. I think, um, I think to some extent, there was it was a, a little bit of a shock to be called into leadership. But, but really, to some extent, I've always been dragged into leadership in the different roles that I've had, whether it's in mm-hmm. the corporate world or in the church. And so, it's it was natural then for me to go into a more formal leadership role, whether that was as a pastor or um, because I consider it servant leadership, I it's, it's not a it's, it's never a big jump really because you're serving people wherever you are. It's mm-hmm. just that there are aspects to leadership that you have to front up to, you know, some of the difficult situations and so forth that you don't have to if you're not in leadership. And and those things take effort and and focus and um, a lot of humility, a lot of you know, mm. trying to trying to seek God, and so so no, I don't think it was a, a big jump, um, but it um, in expectations, but it it was a jump in responsibilities. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. 
We have a, a, a phrase in our team. It's kind of a play on words or as we call it, a pray on words uh, for servant leadership where, you know, a lot of leadership structures are based on a hierarchy. We call it a low-rocky, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so um, super appreciate that and um, love the concept of, of servant leadership. And then also I, th- I think it's such a beautiful and powerful thing when you do have that heart and that mindset for leadership because, like you say, when you care about people and all of that sort of thing, um, it really it really does flow from there and but I, I love that you're it sounds like from the, the words that you've used that you're intentional about how you lead and how you manage and and structures and all that sort of thing to try and bring the best out of people and try and uh, equip your teams to be empowered to do their job the best that they can do um, which to me is actually such an incredible skill to be able to do. I've watched my mum my whole life. She's um, a project manager in IT. And the way that she can bring a team together is so incredible. And a lot of the time she's working with people with like language or accent barriers. She's working with people from across the world and um, different time zones and, you know, doing all sorts of different things and the way that she can bring people together and get them to work together and get past their issues with one another and all that sort of thing. It's such an incredible skill. And so I also wanted to encourage you that I once heard that that Jack of all trades, master of none is actually a misquote. And the original intention was Jack of all trades, master of one. And I, I, I really think that for the believer, our mastery should primarily be you know the word of God and knowing and and loving God but then secondarily like the Bible says love God and love people right and it sounds like you've made that your mission in life so really you've got a great mastery going on (laughs) yeah and and, you know I don't always do it as well as I'd like to but um but certainly that is my goal and I think what I didn't say before is servant leadership is about servanthood to people but it's First and foremost, servanthood to God. Yeah. And your servanthood to people is in the context of your servanthood to God. You know, it's like love God and then love your neighbor. Yeah. Loving your neighbor, you can only do if you love God yeah. first. And so, and that's what carries you through um, both the good times and and the hard ones as well and the, and the difficult situations because you love others by loving God in those and serving his purpose. And I also... Um, just want to say that my my observations of, of leadership is that like probably with your your mum quite often the people that lead really well you don't actually realize they're leading um it's quite often what they allow to happen or the seeds that they've planted and other people take up yeah as much as or more than what they make happen yeah um and it's mm-hmm. i love to watch that and and if i can achieve that at times then then that's awesome too i yeah mm-hmm. i love to lead in that way Mm-hmm. That's really cool. Yeah, I love that servanthood to God first and then to people. Um, so you mentioned that you're quite adventurous and you've done quite a lot of different things. So um, we haven't actually mentioned yet that you spent quite a bit of time in Papua New Guinea or a bit of time there. Would you be able to tell us some of your highlights from your time serving there? Sure, I'd love to. Um, there are lots of stories to tell. And I, um, I, I might kind of focus on three that first of all of course is well sorry there are two aspects to 
um, to our lives. It's it's the work we do, which can be contributing directly to God's mission, but also just the way we live and yeah. and the context in which we live. And um, these stories are a little bit of a mix of of those two areas. But the first is I loved my work in Papua New Guinea. I was a regional director for um, for Wycliffe there, and we called it SIL there, and um, and I was over seeing two regions, uh, Madang and Morabay, where combined there are, oh gosh, from memory about 300 languages in those mm. wow. two regions. And so there's a lot of work to be done. And we were working in over 40 at, at the time wow. with projects in about 40. And I just loved working uh, with Papua New Guinea people um, I, I love so many aspects of the culture. The hospitality was so humbling. Um, just puts us to shame in the West so often, you know, what the, the hospitality and, and grace of people when, when you're going out to a remote village and, and so forth. But um, And then also the 70 or so expats that I worked with in the, in the region – and just being able to help them in that work, both the Bible translation, literacy, grammar, um, scripture engagement, which is when we help people to understand the scriptures that they do have and, and to engage with them well. And also, you know, we run courses with things like trauma healing, where, where the scriptures are used to help people work through trauma in their lives. And there's loads of trauma. Mm-hmm for people in, in Papua New Guinea um, in their lives. And so that was just such a pleasure, such a privilege to to work with all those people in that context in, in Papua New Guinea. And there are loads of stories that I can tell from that, um, awesome dedications and, and all sorts. But I, I won't go into depth because I'm aware of time and I want to share a couple of other stories that I have that um, – the first was just after we were in Papua New Guinea for four years and um, we had intended to be there longer, but circumstances changed and we were called back to New Zealand. And um, But just shortly after arriving, we helped run a, a vacation Bible school in two local village areas. One was in a church, or oh, they were both in, in local churches. And towards the – we had a young guy, he was 19 – 20 at the time, Brian Wasu, and um, he was a fantastic storyteller. And he helped us run, um, Jenny and I and others run this um, vacation vacation Bible school in, in this church, quite close to our centre. Towards the end of the course, he came up to me and he just said, Bruce, I just have this dilemma. I don't know what to do. Um, and he told me the story of what had happened. And in the last year, Previous to that, he had lost his father and he had lost his brother. And if that wasn't enough, then everyone around him in his um, language group and and close family and friends were saying, you've got to do something about this. Because in Papua New Guinean, sorry, there, there are loads of Papua New Guinean cultures, but fairly universal across them is that when somebody dies, somebody is to blame. So the idea is, he was saying that he's got all this pressure on him to find who is to blame for the deaths 
of his father and his brother. And then the next stage in that is to do something about it. Um, And the idea behind that is often that um, you, you deal with the people because so that they don't hurt others. Okay. And so he came to me and, and said, <laughs> what do I do? So what do you say? Mm. Someone that asks you that question. You're, you're pretty new to the country. You don't really have depth to understand. And so what I did is I, I prayed with him and I said, I'd really like you to come to my, my house um, once a week and let's search the scriptures together. Rather than me telling you what to do, let's see what God says through the scriptures to do. And let's pray about it. Let's pray about it every week. And wow. so we did for four months um, following that. And over those months, he started to get an idea of what God wanted him to do and about reconciliation and about forgiveness and about love your neighbor, even when your neighbor's your enemy. And he didn't just apply it to his own life, though. This young man who really had no status, you know, because he was young, he was still at school. Um, he still had a couple of years at school. And he went back to his village and and we got materials that he could distribute. And he arranged these meetings where dozens and dozens of people came, the leaders and everyone in this area, and they discussed this dilemma mm-hmm. with the end result being just a miracle, which is that the whole group decided that they'd had enough wow. of the cycle of of death and violence and hatred. Um, there had been several murders in the group just previous to this, and people had had their houses burnt and driven out of the area. Wow. And we had this privilege of going to a toxari, which is a peace meeting, mm. where wow. um, there are a couple of hundred people and. They all got together and they dressed in sackcloth and ashes. The woman wailed. Everyone brought piles of garden food to share. And it was, its whole purpose was to say sorry. Talk sorry means to talk sorry, to say sorry to God and to each other and to reconcile. And so they welcomed people back that had been driven out. Wow. Um, they they reconciled. We had a policeman there. We had other lead church leaders there. And it was just the most amazing sign of God's mm-hmm. grace and and God's word penetrating into the culture and into the hearts of those people. And um just a funny little aside there was that one of the one of the beautiful things they did is they threw weapons and pornography and other things, sorcery things, onto a fire to burn. And as I was sitting there, the policeman not far from us got a stick and just started pulling this thing out of the fire that had been sitting there for a while. And as he pulled it out, I realized it was this um, tear gas canister that someone had thrown in because he wasn't going to use it against enemies anymore, but it had been slowly heating in the fire. And, um, And the policeman pulled it out before it was too hot and exploded, and I was really thankful. (laughs) but it was just this amazing experience of genuine repentance brought about by the gospel in the heart of one young man who decided to read through the scriptures and pray 
That's mm-hmm. so amazing. Um, yeah. I know you have another story, but I just wanted to ask really quickly, was um, your response to his dilemma a thing that you had as a practice in your life already in terms of going to the word to get the answer? Or was that something that came to you in the moment as you prayed and sought wisdom for how to deal with the situation? Sure. I think in this context, it was just something that came to me at the time um, where, yeah, where, where God kindly led me to respond in that way. And, um, and I guess it was out of a natural inclination to turn to the word yeah. and, um, but yeah, it was really something I felt that God gave me. And that young man, Brian, has set up a peace ministry. Wow. wow. And he has brought about many ceasefires in tribal mm-hmm. groups, between tribal groups, and just a brave young man. He he walks into the most dangerous situations mm-hmm. um, with a group of other young people and prays and just talks about God's word and his desire for forgiveness and reconciliation and the blessings that flow from that. And mm. so he's not he's not just stopped there with his language group. He's gone on to many others. Um, and just recently I heard in the valley where we lived between two warring parties, he had been an instigator of a peace treaty, which, um, yeah, so God, seeing God work through small beginnings and it's just flourishing. It's, it's awesome. And I will just speak briefly about my last one. I don't, um, I'm probably taking up a bit too much time on this, but. No, you're good. My last one is all about um, a young woman called Patronila Sikapai. And as my wife, Jenny, um, taught choir and, in, and, and singing in our um, mission school, um, what what she didn't say in your interview is there were just over a hundred students and over eighty of them were in her choirs. Wow! So, wow. <laughs> um, so it was an amazing thing. And and as part of that, um, part of the music department in the school, all the kids that played instruments, which was pretty much everyone, and sang, we took on a mission trip down to Lay, the city of Lay. Um, and we visited a university there and some schools and churches and the kids performed and sang and gave testimonies um, as they went. And as part of that, we did one of these on the street. And towards and lots of people responded and the kids talked to lots of people afterwards. And one of the people that responded was Neela or Patronila, who we call Neela, um, a young woman. And she it turns out, had been living on the streets in Lay for six years, on and off. And um, and she just said, I have to change. I just have to change. And she, um, living on the streets in Lay is not like living on the uh, US street or a street in New Zealand. It's, it's a very different context. You know, it's... Um, it's dangerous, it's dirty, um, and so just for her to be alive after that amount of time was a miracle. And so friends of ours, and, and we just agreed that she can't go back to the street. And um, But it left us with this dilemma, um, but, you know, how do, we, how do we interact? What do we do? And so we took her 
with our group and we were all sleeping in a in a school and took it to the school and we started talking about possibilities as well as you know what does it mean to live a life in Christ and so forth but also what are we what's the next step and we had some contacts in the lay city mission um there's there's no real there's no social welfare system in in PNG as such and so it's not like you can just um, go to a homeless shelter or whatever. The Salvation Army had a shelter for women who, who had been abused, um, and but also resources are limited there. So it's not an easy task to know what what to do and how to interact with people in need. Um, and we found through the Lay City Mission that they ran a home for young people. Um, but they wouldn't take people who had lived on the street. They only took people much younger than Neela, who was 21 by then. Mm-hmm. Um, they only took kids really up to 12, and they wouldn't take people from the street because it, they couldn't, it was too disruptive um, to their systems and, and to the other kids, and they couldn't make it work. And so, but this... Um, Amazing woman, Wendy, who ran this home for young people, agreed to take Neela for, for two nights and just said, you know, we'll, we'll take her in and um, then we'll see if we can get her somewhere else. And it turns out there, there was nowhere else. But Wendy fell in love with Neela and Neela ended up being there for several months. Wow. And during that time, Wendy helped Neela with a bunch of health issues and, and also to um, transition into a new way of, of living and being. And Neela really wanted to go back to school to finish her high school. And so Jenny and I searched. We went and visited schools. Um, but for a number of reasons, there was just no fit. And so we just prayed and felt God saying, okay, well, Neela um, is now part of your family. Mm-hmm. And so she came and she lived with us for our last 18 months in Papua New Guinea. And she was such a blessing to us. Just she was hilarious, and um, just she taught us lots about um, her cult, about the culture, and we helped her with her English, and she helped us with our top prison, and um, it was just so lovely having her living with us. And then we needed to leave earlier, and because of training that she had been doing through our organisation. Um, we were able to use that as equivalence for high school. She did an entry exam and she was able to go and study at a place called CLTC, mm. Christian Leaders Training College, which is a tertiary um, place where they, they teach scripture and development and ministry. And she's still there. She's still studying there now. She's done an advanced diploma over the last three years and now she's moved into a degree. Wow. Oh. Um, level program so she's still there and we're hoping we've been hoping each year that she'll be able to come out and spend some months with us but with COVID and other things it hasn't worked and so this Christmas though we're determined that she'll spend um our summer which is over Christmas with with us Mm. yeah so that she's been such a huge blessing to our family and and it's neat to have our newest daughter being our now eldest daughter um Mm -hmm. even though we couldn't (laughs) officially adopt her we consider yeah. our, her our daughter and our kids consider yeah. her their sister. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's the 
the third story. That is such a cool story. I, I mean, both of those stories, all of them, everything that you shared was great. <laughs> so I was like thinking through. Um, I really appreciate you sharing about the ceasefire situation because um, we are currently involved in a project here in Nashville where one of the um, – there's a man called Enoch Fuzz. He's a pastor. He's been a pastor in, um, in Nashville for a really, really long time, and he's considered one of the grandfathers of the black church here in Nashville. And okay. he uh, last year was the first – year that um, Juneteenth was federally recognized as a a holiday in the US. And um, unfortunately, that first time that it was recognized, it was marred with a lot of violence. And so Enoch okay. is um, making a call for a complete ceasefire over Juneteenth weekend um, this year. And somehow we've become involved with this whole thing. And so I was just so encouraged that you shared about that because obviously I'm hearing other testimonies of these sorts of things happening can be such a great um, faith boost um, and testimony often breeds testimony. And so I am so grateful to hear of the incredible story of what the word of God did as a catalyst. Um, And I'm definitely going to be sharing that whole entire story that you shared with our leadership team to encourage everyone and to help get some more focus toward how we can see that ceasefire happen here in Nashville, which unfortunately, as it's grown, Nashville, I'm not sure how much you guys know about it, but um, I moved here like 11 years ago and the downtown area had like three or four, maybe five kind of like high-rise buildings. And now there's like it's become huge. It's just okay. boomed. Um, there was a period of time where they were saying that a hundred people were moving here every day. Um, oh. So it was just, it, it's just blown up. And unfortunately with the explosive growth has also been explosive crime. And so um, really believing for, for that to happen. And I'm just really grateful for the providential timing of you sharing that story with me <laughs> or oh, with us, but really um, wildly encouraging as well. <laughs> um, yeah. So very, very cool. Um, something I just wanted to jump in and say that I loved about both of your stories is that um, in each situation, it, you didn't really know what to do at first. It was sort of like, okay, yeah. I know something has to be done, but not really sure what to do about it, but still responding to that and just trusting that God would work it out and seeing that come to fruition later on, I think is just, yeah, a really cool testament to both of those stories. Yeah. Yeah, definitely having having to trust. Yeah. You know, that, that God will do something. And yeah. And just yeah, and and I guess just being willing to to follow in the process. And mm-hmm. and also um what was neat about Brian is actually, you know, I had to do very little. All I had to do was walk with him mm. in a process. And God has used him in ways he could probably, well, I mean, God can do anything with anyone. He can make mm. a donkey talk, but <laughs> um, but it'd be like, it'd be like the donkey talking to make me do what Brian has achieved. You know, mm. he knew that Brian was the one that he had chosen and to have the privilege of being a part of that catalytic process of yeah. walking with him was so neat. Yeah. Mm. Amazing. Well, um, in terms of all of your experience with people and managing and all of the work that you have done, 
in that way, what would you say are some of the key ways that you've learned about how God moves through people and how he's designed us and, and how you've learned about people in general? I think just going back to what we were saying, I think um, not to try and um, jump to conclusions about how God will use people is an important mm. basis <laughs> for mm. interacting with people because, you know, it can be, um, well, I, I, I think back to um, David, you know, uh, uh, Israel wanted someone like Saul and they got him. They got what they wanted, yeah. this, this big, good-looking guy, but the one that made all the difference was the was the small shepherd, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I guess um, one thing is not to underestimate people and um, and what they're capable of is is really important, um, and prob- I think. In the- probably not to overestimate as well, because I think Israel's problem with Saul was they overestimated his capability. <laughs> yeah, 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 yep. Not to think more or less of ourselves. <laughs> yeah. Than, yeah, so I guess in, in that way, again, to be humble and um, just step back and, and observe and not to jump to early conclusions um, either way and to let God lead. Yeah. But, um, but but remembering too that I think in in working with and managing people, it helps me to remember that every single person is made in the image of God and that every single person, no matter whether you think they've turned so far away from God or or are so on fire for God, every single person has God's light in them. And to honour that in people as a starting point, I think, is important. And then um, to uh, something else really important that I've found just in, in a management capacity is to really um, focus on letting people exercise their talents, mm. not to try and do things for people, but to to facilitate as much as um, to lead, you know, just to facilitate people being what they can be. Um, is so much <laughs> more efficient than than trying to control. And, and different people have different leadership styles, but mine is certainly um, to observe, but step back and let people, people be. And as part of that, and something... Um, I hope we can come to to later maybe is that God created us as a community and created people with different talents. Like mine is, um, like you say, I I do think in the past I saw um, being a jack of all trades has been a weakness, but in a certain context, it's a real strength and that I can speak um, about and understand many different areas and skill sets without having to be an expert in them I can understand enough to um, help encourage and and lead and people in their skill set in that area Um, rather than just having a a very specific skill set in one area and focusing on that I can interact with others and and help them and encourage them and support them in in theirs and so that's become a, a strength for me whereas before I thought it was a weakness and um finally something that I've 
I've learned about managing people specifically, stepping into that leadership role, is that we don't help people by um, letting them take the easy road. If people um, and something, and in fact, as leaders, by letting people take an easy road or by letting things um, fester or, or, or go on where we could step in early and, and either make a change or encourage somebody or do whatever's needed to um, create a, a strong cooperating community of talent, then we, we need to step up and do that. Um, and that's part of the servanthood to God. And then servanthood to people is that people are part of a community and have to act in the community. And part of our responsibility as managers is helping facilitate that. And so not being afraid to, to face the music. And, um, and that can come about, and that comes about in all our lives. God calls us all to do that. And it comes back to that being bold and courageous in love um, and loving others well is being bold and courageous and challenging people in love and truth. Um, so those are a few things. I think it's such a big question. Um, mm -hmm. What have you learned, you know, about people and the way God's designed us? It's just so mm -hmm. big. I, I, so I'm just scraping a, a few things that I've kind of picked up along the way. Yeah. Well, you highlighted um, that everyone's made differently and has different giftings, um, and that sort of leads into what I wanted to ask you about uh, the role of collaboration in God's mission. How important do you see that being? Yeah, and um, I'm going to – I'll break the question down a little bit and yeah. say I'll assume that you mean collaboration with other Christians and Christian organizations. Is that kind of what you're thinking there? Or are you yeah, thinking local or governments or? Whichever way you want to take it. <laughs> okay, well, let's start with um, a, a summary, which yeah, yeah. is that it's vital, that it that it's vital to, to what we want to do. If we want to achieve God's mission, then um, Paul didn't say, this, like Romans 12, he repeats it in Ephesians and in Corinthians that we're a body with many members um, without reason, and, and they didn't repeat it without reason, mm -hmm. and that it's so important that collaboration amongst Christians is key to serving God well. He didn't, mm -hmm. he didn't just make a finger. He didn't just make a toe or a nose. No, he made a whole body of believers, and mm -hmm. Wycliffe as an organization is not the whole body of believers or a denomination by itself is not the whole body of believers. You know, we're, we're subsets thereof. And so in summary, in the Christian context, um, collaboration is vital. And, um, and I can talk a little bit more about that, but then to expand that to, um, to, to go out from that to collaborating with others it's also vital. How else? Um, you know, we can bless those that we're ministering to, but to come alongside, um, for example, uh, in our context, a ministry of education or or schools or or the government in some areas of development and so forth, then we get to share who we are 
and how we work and God's grace alongside them and serving others. And to me, that's a no-brainer. Of course, of course, we want to do that as well. As long as, um, and I guess the gotcha with this is when there are some dangers in collaboration as well. And that is that, for example, um, oh gosh, there's a, there's a book I, I read recently that I had recommended to me and I've forgotten the title of it, but it was it was about about mission organizations and one of the things they were talking about is funding. And they were kind of saying, um, yeah, in some ways it's finding funding from everywhere, but with funding comes a voice. And if that voice is not for the gospel, then then you can it can lead to a slow and but steady change with you walking away from the primary purpose of, of God and what you're doing. And so there are some challenges in collaborating outside the church, and we have to be mindful of those. So um, I think in many contexts we want to do that, but we have to be mindful as well of what comes with that and that we don't um, give away who we are serving um, and how, how we serve because of that. So... Um, so at the baseline, um, I love collaboration and, and networking and working together. Um, I, I think it's I think it's crucial. Yeah, particularly mm-hmm. within the body of Christ and the body of Christ is anyone that submits to Christ as Lord. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that you highlight that it's important not only within the Christian the body of Christ, but also collaborating with other people and how that um, we can be a light to others through that as well. I think that's a really cool point to highlight. Yeah, and actually in translation now, um, as in many countries, education levels have improved. You know, they're not all Mm -hmm. at a high level, but with training in most countries where we interact and do translation now, Local people do the translation. Our people are advisors to those people, and they often do translating alongside them, but it's a team mm. approach. And um, and in that, in those relationships, I've seen through the translators, the, the translation advisors that I've worked with and people coming in and translating the Bible in their own language. We've, in Papua New Guinea alone, in my region alone, Dozens and dozens of people came to Christ mm. through that, through the revelation of the word that they were translating. So, mm. yeah, just a little example. Mm. That's amazing. I love that because it kind of brings to mind uh, the parable of the sower and the seed and the tears and the wheat and how um, in those right. in those parables you have two kinds of seed. Um, obviously, the soil represents the heart and the tears of the issues and leaving them to the angels and all of that sort of thing. But there's two kinds of seed and one of the types of seed is the word of God. And I love how your your stories are so clear and how the word of God impacts. But the other seed is the children of the kingdom. So us sowing ourselves into situations and our lifestyles and our and the way that we are kind of, as you already mentioned earlier, that can also hand in hand with the word of God be so impactful 
And mm-hmm. um, I love how you kind of highlighted that practically without even even mentioning the word. <laughs> um, really, well, really cool. It's, it's really yeah. it's really cool. And I guess in in a lot of ways, when you are dealing with working with non-believers, um, that whole tears with the wheat approach can be really really helpful too. Of um, leaving some of that stuff to the angels to deal with. Um, <laughs> and not feeling like you have to fix all of the problems of the world, um, you know. Yeah, and that can be difficult because I want to fix all the problems in the world. And, <laughs> yeah. um, yeah. and I probably get a bit worn out sometimes trying to. Yeah. But you start, I start to do it in my own strength and, and it fails. And um, I mentioned earlier that I, early on, you know, um, so 15 years ago I, I had a period of ill health and just recently I have, I have as well and, you very quickly realize how small your strength is. Yeah. You know, we think it's big, but even when we're strong, we're not. And um, I've certainly learned that in our weakness, God has made strong, has, mm-hmm. has come through. And, um, yes, and as humbling as it, it can be sometimes, um, it's good for us and and ultimately is a lot easier than, <laughs> mm-hmm. than striving. Yeah, but the lived out life, the word lived out, um is, is hand in hand with the the word written and recorded and, and so on. So both, you know, both are needed. Yeah. Um, yeah. For the gospel to be communicated. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so from there, what would you say is one of the greatest lessons that you've learned through working with Wycliffe? I feel like you maybe have already touched on it, but maybe there's more to draw out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I I think probably the biggest one is about trusting God. Um, I think it's easy to give it lip service when we're strong. Mm. And because, and that's, and, and comfortable. Um, but when we're not strong and not comfortable, then um, it can be a lot harder. And I think there are, there are times in my life where I've faced um, challenges, you know, where I've thought I was on a, on a high road to, to heaven, you know, I thought I was, I was going to die. And, and those times are tough and, and you have to trust God in them. But it's even harder to trust God in the, in the long drawn out um, weakness of ill health. And, and mm-hmm. when you don't know what's, what's next and, um, and during my time with Wycliffe, I've, I've experienced and seen both of those times and also as an organization with the winds of change that have come through the Bible translation movement and our organization and um, just trusting that he is who he says he is, that he does have everything in, in hand, even though we can't always see beyond, you know, beyond our hand and mm-hmm. um and that he has a purpose in, in everything he does. So that that would be my my number one. My uh, a second thing I think, um, which has come home since being with Wycliffe, is how important I am to God's mission, and how unimportant I am <laughs> to God's mission. Mm-hmm. Um, and I um, I just think 
I'm, I'm often amazed that God uses people because um, I, I think of the, the disciples, you know, this ragtag bunch of guys who, um, who really fail so miserably so often. <laughs> and yet the, the guy that denies him when he's Christ, when he's at his weak, weakest, God uses as a cornerstone of his church. And, um, so I'm both encouraged. I'm encouraged by that as well, but surprised that God uses people to reach people, and He loves us enough to to use us in His mission and to privilege mm-hmm. us with that. And and I've used that word privilege quite a lot um, as we've talked, because I really think that any time God uses us as privilege, um, to be a servant of God is is a privilege, and even more so that He calls us sons and daughters. And so. <clears throat> What I've learned in saying that I'm important to God's mission is that by just being agreeing to do what he wants me to do, um, I've seen him, like with Brian, use me as a catalyst and, and use me in ways that I wouldn't have imagined. But he could also do it without me if he chooses or if I neglect to respond to his call. And um, and I, I never want to forget that um, because because he does. If he, you know, he will achieve his mission, um, whether it's through us or someone else. And so hence the I'm important and yet I'm not mm-hmm. yeah, realisation. Yeah, I think something that you've drawn up there is something I've been reflecting on a bit recently is the amount of trust that is needed in the mission of Bible translation because it is such a long process and it's not something that you often see immediate um, uh, fruit from um, but I think it's it, it makes it so that we can't really say it's on our own strength like uh, we get in relying on God throughout the mission it's really putting it into his hands and seeing his work and that the result of that is much greater than anything we could do um, and that ties into what you're saying, it being a privilege to, even though it's hard to trust to these long seasons, we get to be a part of um, something greater that we may or may not see, but yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And we don't always see the end picture. I, can I just share a, a short, another short story? Yeah, that's fine. Um, so <clears throat> I was in PNG and someone came from the States. I can't remember. It may have been from the Steve Company or from Wycliffe USA to share about a Bible, um, oral Bible story and app and how it works. And and he had this man had actually, and and there's some great stuff happening there in, in terms of especially oral Bible story um, and also with oral Bible translation and, and the power of the spoken word of, of God. Um, but he um, spoke about how he had become, a, he had done a translation in some of the islands of PNG and about 15 years prior, I think it was, don't, I, I can't remember the exact time frame, but it was a long time prior. And he had left quite disillusioned because he just saw Bibles sitting on shelves, not being used. And so he became really enthused about oral Bible, um, oral Bible translation, which is about doing it in a spoken way, which people can instantly hear without having to be able to read and, and write. And, and that was wonderful. That was awesome that he was inspired in that. But what really struck me is that someone who was with me 
um, just next to me, stood up and said, actually, you should know, just in the past three years, we have sold, um, I don't know if it was in the, in the tens or hundreds of Bibles, because there's been a huge revival in your area. Wow. And because he had done that translation work, there was a, with, with you know, everyone else involved, there was a Bible that they could straight away during this revival take up and people had it in their hands. Mm -hmm. And he just didn't know that. He had never heard that until he came back to talk about oral Bible story because he had been so disillusioned because um, he thought the written word wasn't being used. And it wasn't much when he was mm -hmm. there. But he didn't know what God had done later. Mm. Wow. So, Kingdom mm. of heaven doesn't come by observation, right? Mm. Sometimes so easy to, it's not by sight, it's by faith. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so and easy we don't know to. God works. Yeah. 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 Well, our last question for you is how can people support you, Bruce? Right. Yeah. Well, I think um, sometimes I, I've visited people and and they've said, you know, I've been praying for you and your family every day. Mm. I just say, oh, wow. And I look back and I think, yeah, I know, because with um, what we've walked through as a family and, um, you know, we, we have – we have many needs, practical and financial and everything, but really when it comes down to it, the, the, the prayer of people for God's work, for Wycliffe and for me and my family, for Nilo still in Papua New Guinea, and um, what I covered is, is people's prayers. Yeah, mm -hmm. that, that would be my number one thing that people can do to support us, um, to pray for people and Bible translation to pray for more young people um, to come into it. We've been blessed with some more young people recently, and I just want to see more. You know, we do have an aging population in the organization, and um, I just want to see more people enthused for the for the work of Bible translation, and um, and then just for myself, for my health, um, that I'd be able to sustain the work that I'm doing, and um, things like that. So, prayer, mm -hmm. yeah. And we'll definitely be praying that your daughter can join you guys for Christmas. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I thought um, I got her a visa. Well, she and I worked on a visa application and she got it in two months. Wow. Early last time and it mm -hmm. didn't get processed, didn't oh. get looked at. And so we're going to go a lot earlier this time and yeah. um, see if we can, yeah, get that sorted. Mm. Oh, awesome. Um, well, thank you so much for all of your stories. They've been so encouraging and um, faith building and really deep. And so much of the stuff that you don't say, I know that there's so much more that you could share. Um, and maybe we could get you back another time to, to delve more into some of the things. But we have a practice here on the Story of Hope podcast of praying for five nations every time we come together. And we would love to have you pray for our nations today. Bruce, what our nations today are Belarus, Bolivia, Bosnia and Herzegovina. Um, I never know if I'm saying that one right, but whatever. Um, Botswana and Brazil. All right. 
All right. And so in your practice, um, am I going to be the only one to pray or will you guys as well? Um, um, t- sorry, yeah, typically the guest prays. So if you could pray. Yeah. Yeah, I'd love to. Thank you, Banana. Okay, well, let's pray. Oh, Lord, most of these countries are not countries that jump out in everyday news, Father. Um, they're not countries which are foremost in our, in our thoughts and minds. Lord, and so I thank you for the privilege of praying for them today. And, Father, for Bolivia, um, Father, I, I'm, I'm borrowing from other people's prayers because I, I don't have in-depth knowledge on each of these countries, Lord. But, Father, I've heard that um, there's a real need for a strengthened economy there um, and that for, for, for work in the area of poverty and the plight of homeless children on the street, Lord, and we just pray Uh, that you love the homeless. James, in the book of James, Lord, we're reminded that true religion is to care for the widow and the orphan, Father, and because you love them, Lord, you you love those, Father, who are unloved, those who aren't, don't have the privilege of wealth and status, Father, and so we pray for all those street children um, today, Lord, that you would work through people and through your spirit um, to help them in their need, Lord, and to bring them um, to a knowledge of you as well, Father. And we just pray for believers in Bolivia, Lord, to be equipped for the battle um, against the enemy, against Satan, who continues to have strongholds in places there, Father. So we just pray for a strengthening of the church there, and for the outworking that comes through strong church. Thank you, Lord. And Father, for Bosnia and Herzegovina, um, Lord, we pray for reconciliation um, amongst those who are still traumatized, Lord, um, and might hold on to bitterness by the by the devastating ethnic and religious religious wars that have been there, Father. Lord, I worked with a person in the UK many years ago who saw many of those he loved die, Lord, and I saw the anguish firsthand um, that he struggled hold, Lord, and, and struggled to let go of, and I just pray for, for um, a rebuilding, Lord, of the communities a rebuilding and love of the shattered economy, um, just that Christ's love would really penetrate through your spirit into the hearts, the minds of the leaders and those who are holding on, Lord, to bitterness and anger that they need to let go of, that forgiveness would reign, Father. Lord, for Botswana, um, we would pray that, again, you would move and amongst traditional tribal and animistic thinking, that you would set people free from the captivity of some of those ways of thinking. We pray for biblical training for indigenous Bye. church leaders um, and for protection against syncretism. 
Lord, we all need that balance, that protection against bringing our own ways and our made-up ways into um, your story. And so we pray for protection against that there, Lord, as we do for everyone around the world. And we'd also speak into the, the plague of HIV AIDS, Lord, and the ill health that comes from that and also the root causes of that, Father. That people would be inspired towards the purity of marriage and of ways of relating that you've created for them, Father. And um, that there'll be a real revival there, Lord, and that the outworking of that would be a better way of living, that it would be better health, that it would be a better economy, that it would be love in the hearts of people, Father, and acknowledgement of you, Lord, and that serving you and living the way that you've shown, um, acknowledgement that that leads to a better life, Father. So we just pray these things into especially the church leaders there and that you would strengthen them and that you would also move by your spirit where your church leaders can't, Father, just in the places and the people where they can't reach. Lord, for Brazil, we pray for maturity in the church, Father, that there would be strength and that the church would lead transformation in lives and urban places, Lord, and the slums and rural places, Lord, and the communities there, that there would be transformation leading, transformation in people's hearts, Lord, leading to transformation in people's minds, leading to transformation in community groups and in society. Father, we pray for the leaders of all these nations, Father, that they would put others first, Lord, that they would seek to serve, that they wouldn't just seek to build empires, Father, but that they would seek to serve and that you would guide them how to do that and that they would be able to work with your church as willing participants, Lord, and serving people in those needs as is needed. Um, and, Father, in each of these countries, too, we pray for the work of Bible translation, and that you would strengthen those there and that you would help them to live out the words that are translated. Mm. So, Father, we thank you for the opportunity to pray for the nations. We thank you for each of these countries. Um, and we pray that you would become embedded and that people would turn to you and your kingdom rather than just building their own. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And to your glory. Amen. Well, thanks so much, Bruce. Uh, just, it's been really great to hear about your heart and just, yeah, why you do what you do here at Wycliffe. And thank you for your time as well. Um, we just like to end with a little bit of news for each of us. So for Wycliffe, I uh, just wanted to share that the um, there are two translations that we're looking to have published this year and I can say those are the Matik Salo Cole Bible um, and the Puka Puka New Testament and Portions which is a language in the Cook Islands um, so if you guys could just pray for these because um, as we've seen um, as translation projects come towards the end uh, we really see that um, 
the enemy works to frustrate those plans. Um, so please be praying that we see these dedicated this year and that it would, um, as Bruce prayed at the end of his prayer as well, that um, these translations would be used and worked out in people's hearts and lives. So that's what's been going on with us. Yeah, and it's so exciting. And I think that's the first whole Bible translation that New Zealand members have been involved with. Yeah. Um, it's such a big, momentous task. Um, and so we're really thrilled about, thrilled about that. Just a lay bit of groundwork. Oftentimes it'll take 10 years to um, translate a New Testament. One of the translations we celebrated in Papua New Guinea in 2018, um, the team that that worked on it, the expat team and, and all the local people, started in 1975. It took 43 years for the wow. New Testament translation. It was a really lot of challenges along the way, and that's unusual. But then to celebrate, be able to celebrate the whole Bible, just so awesome. Mm. Yeah. Mm. That's so epic. I love that so much. There was one time where um, when we first started working with Wycliffe Bible Translators, someone showed us a video of um, a people group receiving the translation and the joy was so amazing mm. and incredible. Mm. And yeah, love it so much. Um, for Eversmith News, uh, I, I mentioned earlier in the podcast today that we have this ceasefire thing coming up in Nashville. Mm -hmm. And so if people can be praying with us for that, we have a number of um, lead-up events where we're working with different churches around the city. And so uh, each time that we've done one of them, one of our team members has got sick or injured. And so um, it would be really, really great for that to stop happening. Uh, <laughs> so, um, yeah, so if people can pray for the team's health and for um, the powers of darkness to be quenched and for uh, this fire to happen and to be everything that uh, and more than that you know, Pastor Enoch has been dreaming and hoping and believing for. And ultimately, we want it to be what, God wants it to do. So, yeah, if people can pray yeah, with us on that. Yeah, that's so exciting. Thanks so much for sharing about that, Esther. That's awesome to hear. Yeah, and we will be praying. Thank sure. you. Thank you so much. Yeah. So for everyone else who's listening, um, we really appreciate your um, prayers as well and just that you support us. Um, so make sure you like and comment and share this um, so that more people can hear about the work of Bible translation. And we'll be back again next month with another episode. <laughs> See you guys next time. Bye. Bye.